Episode four in Killer Hangover. Oh, I like that. (laughs) I got a jazzy tale for you. I am Beth. And I am Bettina. I will be telling the true crime this week. And I will be telling a ghost story, I guess. I guess. I guess. (laughs) And I will be introducing a drink. Yeah. What are we drinking tonight? Mom was in the kitchen for a little while mixing up some concoction and I'm smelling green apple that was just my choice it wasn't really you can use whatever but this is called a french 75 Ooh, yes and it is um a drink that you can order it's well known in new orleans we can Um, order it it's a drink we can order (laughs) can or and you can drink it too oh snap (laughs) a lot of places use gin but you can use um brandy you can use bourbon i mean it just so whatever just a cocktail of whatever you want so i used everything <laughs> oh boy <laughs> no <laughs> i actually wanted to just play around and have fun and you we both like green apple yeah. so i have this evan williams green apple kentucky bourbon that mm. i used <laughs> It also has uh, sparkling wine in it, which is your favorite. Yes. So, of course, I have to use that. So, you know who absolutely hates green apple, mom? Katie Lou. Katie Lou. And today is my sister, Katie, Kat, and Kiki, Catherine. It's her birthday. It is her birthday, sweet little girl. So happy birthday, sissy. We love you. Happy birthday, sweetheart. Love you. So anyway, cheers, kiddo. Let's see what this tastes like. Mama. I'm a little nervous since you said it's a bunch of everything in there. Hot dog. That's good. Ooh, that's tasty. I know. Okay, so since I don't have a recipe, I'll never be able to make it again. (laughs) have a little bit of a cold so uh that hit the spot right there <laughs> hey hey hold on mom we have a reason to cheers our green apple drink we got here too besides sissy's birthday i have some news for you what we are officially international we are we are we have a listener in england get out i know that is so exciting shout out to that listener to the in one england. listener in england which is so cool so stinking cool but i love getting on and seeing i think we're up to 15 states right now and i just love seeing a different state pop up i know it's just every so day exciting. yeah that is cool this is a fun hobby that we started but we love that we're reaching out to people and we're getting listeners and well you guys are enjoying this as much as we are so. yes exactly we're so incredibly thankful we definitely definitely have to cheers to that thank you guys thank you so much for subscribing and following so let's cheers to all these awesome listeners cheers guys Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so for the smooth jazz in New Orleans, I have a jazzy tale for you, Mom. All right. This story is going to want to make you buy a dog and throw away your axe. Okay, I don't like axes, (laughs) and I got a dog, so I'm covered. You're set. 
that's going to make sense in a bit. But so this story spans over 18 months, and it's the story of the Axeman of New Orleans. Oh, I've heard mention of him. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Please. I'm going to take a sip of this and dive <laughs> right in. Mm. It's really tasty. Okay. On the morning of May 22nd, 1918, Andrew DiMaggio found the bodies of his brother Joseph and his wife Catherine in the bedroom of their shared apartment, dead in a room covered in blood. Ugh. Both of their throats had been slit with a straight razor. Oh. Their heads had been beaten in with an axe. What? And Catherine's was, her neck was actually cut so deep that her head was basically severed off. Joseph was alive when he was found, but unfortunately he died later of his injuries. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine that. So Joseph was a store owner of a grocery store. He and Catherine and Andrew, the brother, they were immigrants from Sicily. And they'd lived at 1901 Magnolia Street for the last six years as grocers. So a little explanation about the apartment. So the way that they were built back then, the grocery store was in the front of the building. And then the apartment was either like upstairs or kind of like in the back of the building. Yep. But it was all part of one building. Gotcha. So the crime scene showed bloody clothes of the killer thrown in the corner of the bathroom. Uh, The back door was found locked. What? And it seemed that the killer had chiseled, excuse me, a small opening into the back door to get in. Now, this is again attached to a grocery store. Nothing was stolen. Wait, could he have gotten through the grocery store and gone to the... Everything was locked. In the entire grocery store, the apartment, everything was accounted for. The police found a bloody razor on the front lawn that they, right, you know, went with the axe in this whole attack. And being the one who found the couple and a barber who obviously uses razors, Andrew, the brother, was brought in for questioning. Oh, no, yeah. An employee of Andrew stated that the razor was, in fact, Andrew's. So another barber was like, yeah, that razor is Andrew's. He took it home because he had a nick in it. He said he took it home to get it, like, taken care of. Mm-hmm. The nick in his razor right. taken care of. That's his razor. So they were like, oh, well, Andrew it did you. it. Yeah. So they also asked him, like, how did you sleep through the fact that your brother and your sister-in-law were being totally attacked in the next room in this small shared apartment. And he was, he said that he was very intoxicated that night because he had been out celebrating his departure for the Navy. And he was the prime suspect for a while, but there was no proof. So he was released. Wow. Kind of can't blame them for taking him as a prime yeah, suspect. Yeah. Everything kind of pointed to him. Of, yeah. And so then about a month later on June 27th, a local bakery wagon delivery man went to make his AM delivery to another grocery store and saw it had not opened yet and was really weird in the morning. So he went around the building because remember the grocers lived in mm-hmm. the back apartment okay. and discovered that the body discovered the bodies of Italian grocer Luis Bessemer and his mistress Harriet Lowe. Both were alive, but had brutally been attacked. Bessemer had been hit above his right temple with a hatchet and Miss Lowe was hit in the skull over her left ear, and she was in and out of consciousness for the next few days. So their story is a little interesting. I'll, I'll get there in a second. But again, they find this small chiseled hole in the door getting in. Okay, so if you look at a door, you see how there's like those rectangles and like squares. Right, yeah. 
They just chiseled one of those small rectangles out. Somebody did. That's it. it. It's just, it's scary. Nothing was stolen. It was Bessemer's own axe that was used and found so bloody left bringing, in the bathroom. They're not bringing, they're not bringing, bringing in anything. In with them. So um, the police instantly arrested Louis Obicon. I probably am totally mispronouncing that. O-U-B-I-C-O-N. An African-American man that worked for Bessemer. The police stated that he gave conflicting accounts. But while in and out of consciousness, Miss Lowe stated that the attacker was out of a light-skinned man. So he was released. released. Okay. Uh, still in and out of consciousness, Miss Lowe, she's a character. Sorry, but she is. She claims that the attacker was Bessemer himself and that he was a German spy. Oh, boy. And the police found letters in the apartment written in German, Russian, and Yiddish. So obviously he's a German spy. <laughs> so he's arrested. I mean, he was just brutally attacked and then he's arrested. What? The story was all over the news because Miss Lowe, she's a celebrity of it all because she was his mistress, oh not boy. his wife. Right. She loved the drama and loved the press attention. So she was giving like tons of interviews. Wait, so these guys are like perfectly okay? I mean, yeah, they healed. So I mean she, he healed and was decently okay. She had some like, I'll get there in a second. Okay. After finding there was no proof that Bessemer was a German spy, he was released. And soon after, Miss Lowe moved back in with him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, honey. Did, didn't mean it, but really need a roof over my head. I didn't mean it. Head. You're no German spy. You're fine. <laughs> Let's go have some, what are these drinks called? And we'll make it all good. French 75. Thank you. So, okay. So, part of Obi, you are a 75-pound dog. You cannot sit on this computer. Okay, so part of her face was paralyzed from the attack. Okay. So she went in for a corrective surgery to fix that, and the sur- surgery went very poorly. Oh, She no. ended up dying from that surgery. From the surgery? Yes. But not before she told police one more time on her deathbed that the, intac- the, the, attacker. the attacker was, in fact, Bessemer. He was arrested again. He served served nine months in prison before being acquitted after a ten minute jury deliberation. Ten minutes? Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Not so guilty. after a month and a half, after their attacks, August fifth, Ed Schneider returned home from work around midnight to find his eight month pregnant wife Anna covered in blood. Oh no. Her head had been severely beaten. Her scalp was cut open to which police later determined to be done by her bedroom lamp. Again, police found nothing stolen. There's a small chiseled hole in the back door. Thankfully, Anna Schneider does survive and actually gave birth to a healthy baby baby girl only two days later after the attack. When police interview Anna, she doesn't remember much of the attack. She just remembers waking up to a dark figure standing over her, hitting her in the face repeatedly. So this is when the police publicly claim all three of these attacks are all linked. Okay. They finally so put it together. So now they're finally <laughs> saying there's a bad guy out there. All three of these are linked together. Five days after this, on August 10th, Pauline and Mary Bruno, their two young girls, they wake up to the sounds of noises coming from their Uncle Joseph's room. 
When they go to see what the noise is, they see a man with an axe running away. They describe the man to the police as a heavy-set man wearing a dark suit and a slouched hat. Their uncle, Joseph Romano, was another Italian grocer. Hmm. He had two severe blows to the head. Yet again, the back door had a small area chiseled into it. Nothing was stolen. And the axe used was, was Joseph's was himself. Own. Yep. But this guy has to know where to find the it axe. It was found, exactly. It was found bloody in the front yard, dropped by the attacker as he ran. Keep in mind, they said he was heavy set, but this is a small hole chiseled in the door. So, I mean, you could think that these chisels, holes that people are they're getting into it. I mean, now people are like, it's a demon. Like, you know, there's all these theories. But he could have been chiseling it and then using his hand to reach up and unlock. Is well, what that's, I'm what, that's what I was going to ask. Well, when I first heard this that? story, I'm like picturing this person like yeah yeah i didn't go hole. there honey okay um, <laughs> i thought the hand but thing. you brought up the axe so this is 1919 so i'm assuming there's a lot of axes just people they don't have all the tools that we have now so i'm assuming yeah. like just everybody had axes just well i'm sure they did but sitting on their back porch with i don't know i don't know stuck in a log that they yeah. were cutting up <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Um, so unfortunately, Joseph Romano did die two days later in the hospital due to the blunt force trauma to his head. Mm. So now the city of New Orleans is in total fear. They've had Especially several. Especially if you're a grocer. Yeah, exactly. Italian grocers. Yeah. So they had several investigators on it now. All of these cases, you know, they had the chiseling in the back door, nothing being stolen, and the attacker was using weapons found in the home. Most cases, an axe or a hatchet. A local detective of the time, John D'Antonio, claimed he believed there to be no motive and the killer was a real-life Jacqueline Hyde, law-abiding citizen by day with a strong, uh, quote, with a strong, overwhelming desire to kill. Oh. So seven months go by and nothing happens. Then on March 10th, now 1919, I meant to look up how to say this, Yorlando, it's I-O-R-L-I-A-N-D-O. Jordano. Okay. Uh, he heard screaming from his neighbor's home across the street. He runs over to find, this is really sad, Rosie Cortemigalia, it's Italian, Cortemigalia, covered in blood, holding her deceased two-year-old daughter, Mary, oh, in no. her arms. Charles, another Italian grocer, was on the ground, covered in blood. Apparently, Charles had tried to fight off the axe man, had failed, he fell and was hit with the axe. The axeman then went after sleeping Rosie with her baby Mary in her arms. The back door had been chiseled. No robbery. Bloody axe was left on the back porch. Both Rosie and Charles did survive. Rosie claimed the attacker was the man who had found them. The name huh? I cannot pronounce. The one across the street? <laughs> Orlando. Mm-hmm, and his son. Investigating um, this didn't make any sense because Orlando i'm saying that right he was 65 and in very poor health and his son frank was more than six feet tall and over 200 pounds could not fit in the panel of the door that was chiseled away into the home that's so interesting that everybody's describing this person as a totally different description with no evidence the police are desperate to find this demon killer so they did arrest both men frank was sentenced to hang and the name I cannot pronounce, again, I'm sorry, Yerlando sentenced to life 
Charles was very mad at his wife for all of this, and he ended up divorcing her. Oh. Almost a year later, Rosie announced that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. Oh, how could somebody even do that? And because her statement was the only evidence against the Giordanos, they were released from jail shortly after. So a guy hadn't been hung yet. No, thank God. Oh, sick, my. Sick woman. Gosh. A few days after the attack, the local newspaper, the Times-Picayune newspaper, received a letter and posted it to the newspaper on March 14, 1919. The letter was addressed from hell, and it was signed, The Axemen. So I'm not going to read all of it to you. Okay. But it's it's pretty eerie. So... From hell, March 13th, 1919, esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims, I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, death smeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, it goes on. It's pretty eerie. So, it says, I'm going to skip ahead a little in this, Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, <laughs> and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that ever shall, every person shall be spared, in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just oh mentioned. Oh my gosh. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night if there be any, will get the axe. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, it seems a lot of it's very biblical to me that he kind of uses there. New Orleans went into a state of panic, and dance halls were filled to capacity that night. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, okay, so Every they don't have to be jazz band home. was booked. There were house parties. The city was jazzing it out. <laughs> Imagine the noise. Oh. oh, the noise, 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 you Grinch. <laughs> All musicians had gigs that night. Theaters, homes, on the streets, jazz music was on every corner. Wow. Five months go on with no incidents. Then, on August 10th, 1919, Grocer Steve Boca wakes to a dark figure standing over him with an axe. When he regained consciousness, he ran outside to try to investigate what had happened. It was then that he noticed his head was, quote, cracked open. Oh, no. He did recover, 
but couldn't remember any details. Again, a small panel was chiseled out of his back door. Nothing was stolen. His own axe was used. September 3rd, 1919. Neighbors of 19-year-old Sarah Lawman recalled not hearing from or seeing her in quite some time. When they went to check on her, they found a very bloody scene. Miss Lawn was found unconscious. Her neck, head, and face had been hit several times with an axe the axe being found on the scene. She as well did recover, but did not remember anything. I, it just blows me away that these people are recovering from this. You and me both. I mean, reading the details of some of these people, I mean, her neck, her face, she, like, was missing teeth. I mean, her whole head was just cracked open. She did survive. I mean, I can't imagine surviving first without trauma, but then I'm sure with brain injuries. Yeah. In 1919. But, yeah. Jeez. So then on October 27, 1919, uh, a mom of six children was sleeping on the couch. Sounds like me, except I only have two kids. <laughs> she woke to odd sounds coming from her husband in their bedroom. <laughs> when she went to check, she saw a large man holding an axe. He ran away. Blood was everywhere in their bedroom. Her husband did not survive. She unfortunately could not remember details of the intruder. And then the killing stopped. Just just as quickly as they began. And no more after that. And the axe man of New Orleans was never caught. Or never heard from again. Or never heard from again. So there are several theories, of course. One being that none of these are tied together at all. It's just copycats, you know, going off of the horrors of New Orleans. Because these are all Italian grocers. They're saying it's early mafia or that it was because it was Italian grocers. The theory is that the killer was a German immigrant at the time. An earlier victim did claim the attacker spoke German. So, yeah, that was crazy woman. But others, I guess another one had. Oh, so. Some people think, of course, it was a demon, an angel of death. Yes, some demon. I don't think a demon would write a letter to the newspaper, though. <laughs> to um, jazz it out. I'm just saying. Well, that's the thing, too, is some people thought that the letter to the newspaper wasn't the actual Axeman either. They think it was actually a, uh, let me see, where did I write it down? Yeah, Joseph Devalia, they think he was a musician. They think he wrote the letter. Oh, to get a gig? Because, well, <laughs> not only that, but he ended up writing a song called The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, Don't Scare Me, Papa. It released a few months after all of this, and he made a lot of money. So people theorize that it was some musician that That was trying to get a gig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is really sick, but yeah. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Nobody was hurt that night. (laughs) Literally. So let's see. Another theory is that the killer was a man named Joseph Mumphrey, supposedly a man in the mob. The story goes that he was later shot and killed by Mike Pepitone's wife, the last victim of the six kids. She shot him in the streets of L.A. because he apparently said, like, I'm going to he came to her for money. And she was like and he said something like, I'm going to kill you like I did your husband. And she shot him and killed him. But this is just a story. I read it everywhere. But every time it's like, this is a theory. And then at the bottom, I said, there's no proof that I think her name was Esther Pepitone, that she 
ever went to jail for killing anybody, that she ever moved to L.A. even. Right. And then that name, um, Joseph Mumphrey, there was somebody who lived in New Orleans at the time of that name who was supposed to be a part of some Italian mob at the time. But there's no proof that there's any tie to anything. So this is just some theory. So another theory that was really interesting and really put me into like this wormhole on the internet was that all of these tied starting back into killings, axemen killings back to 1884, where an axe from the homes was used, nothing was stolen, and the culprit was never caught. And some theorists believe that this same person did all these killings from 1884, did all of these killings in... Um, New Orleans is the same killer that did the infamous Velisca axe murders in Iowa in 1912, where that whole family was killed by an axe. I don't think I'm familiar with that. Ooh, we'll do that one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do that one. Another axe one. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So there's lots of theories about that. But yes, the axeman of New Orleans was never caught. Wow. And to this day, it's pretty spooky just so many ideas that come to your head well it could be this and Mm -hmm. who hates italian grocers and is it the food they carry it's just it's too much to not be like the biggest hint that they're all italian grocers though majority of them that's definitely an mo Mm -hmm. um but wow and that he always i'm assuming it's a he always hits him in the head Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you didn't say anything about their arms or legs no, or exactly. anything. exactly. He went right after their skulls. And then I I interpreted from reading it all the stories that he was going after the men. And the women just seemed to be there. The wrong place. Yes. At the wrong time. Yes. Except for the 19-year-old. That one, she was all on her own. But maybe her parents or somebody were supposed to be there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. That's a smooth jazz of the Axeman. Now go jazz it up. Now, wait, you said something <laughs> about axes and dogs. Yeah, because if these people had have dogs, this person would not have gotten in their house. And I'm not going to keep an axe around because then they'd use it on me. Right? Okay. Believe me, if they were to walk into this room right now with these three sleeping dogs and this gas that seems to be passing out of one of them no axe man would be coming through that door oh my goodness good thing y'all are cute gotta love them all right mom let me hear a ghost story from uh, good old new orleans please (laughs) while i drink this drink well as everyone probably already knows louisiana is full (laughs) is full of a lot of ghostly phenomenas and voodoo uh, voodoo comes to mind rather <laughs> quickly um and they i read through a lot of different stories that were um very interesting but i chose this one just because sort of like with your ex murder there's so many theories and Dino so e-pick. much <laughs> so much guessing and so much m- fake news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to, I, and that is very relevant in this story. Yes. Okay. 
So I am doing at at the house at 1140 Royal Street. Okay. It's one of the most infamous haunted houses in New Orleans. Okay. Maybe even in the U.S. And it sits at that address. Not only is it haunted, but maybe even cursed. Oh, dun, dun, dun. More on that later. Okay. And I am, of course, talking about the LaLaurie Mansion. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. I know some about this, but I cannot. Okay. And it was pretty, pretty yucky. There you go with the fake news. But anyway, <laughs> before I get into the hauntings, I'm going to give you a little history, which we always do okay. because we like that part yes, of we it, do. too. That's the best part. And I'm going to try to tell you a more accurate history. Okay. Boring. <laughs> 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 the mansion was bought and owned by Madame Delphine LaLaurie. Uh, La um, she was raised in a very affluent family, and she was married three times. Oh, okay. Um, her first two husbands croaked. Um, they died. <laughs> <laughs> and her um, second hus- or her third husband was um, Leonard, and he was a physician who was 20 years younger than her. Dang, girl. Uh, before they got married, it seemed like they had a little <coughs> relationship. Ah, yes. He left for France, where he lived, after the relationship, and she said, Yo, I'll be pregnant. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so he came back to the United States and married her as... A nice gentleman, but their marriage did not go well. And after nine years, he said, say, lovey, I'm out of here. So I guess she was just a little, what do they say, touched in the head. Okay. By an axe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now we know. Bad joke, bad joke. No, she was just a little unstable. And his leaving her really kind of pushed her over the edge. And she took a lot of her aggression towards Leonard after he left out on her servants and slaves. Mm. She treated them very poorly. um, And an investigation into her treatment of her slaves was initiated when one of her young slave girls fell out of a window, a high-story window, and fell to her death. Her slaves were actually taken away from her. But then she had money. So she bought them back one at a time oh until she gosh. had them all back. Stupid slavery. Things were quiet at the mansion until a fire broke out in 1834. Now, it was said that a very elderly slave who was her cook had been caught eating some of her food. And so Delphine had chained her to the stove so that she had to stay in the kitchen and just cook. Um, <coughs> and she was not allowed to eat anything. <coughs> oh, my god! Excuse me. So it is said that the slave uh, actually... Perished uh, in the fire? Well, set the fire. Set the fire. On purpose. <gasps> oh, my so gosh. So that people would see the atrocities that were happening at the mansion. Okay. So she obviously died. Oh. And it worked. The townspeople were appalled at all the horrendous conditions of the slaves who had been starved and tortured and whipped and chained to the upper part of the building. There were mm. rooms up there that had chain, you know, chains there. They stormed the mansion when the fire was happening. They mm-hmm. stormed the mansion, freed the, you know, got the slaves. Delphine was never, ever caught. What? Yeah. She escaped, was never seen again. 
supposedly uh, there's death record records, and they have her dying in Paris, in on December seventh, eighteen forty nine. Okay. So, so but that's it. Oh my gosh. Some people say she tried to come back to New Orleans, and her family said no. I mean, it, there's this all kind, of, but she was never caught. Wow. So, <clears throat> Ugh, awful though. So I started reading about the LaLaurie Mansion, and I read about the absolutely mind-boggling things that Delphine supposedly had done to her slaves. And not only had she tortured and whipped them and done those horrible things, but supposedly she also did these unbelievable um, medical... That's uh, what I've heard. That's the creepy stories I've heard. Yeah, the medical experiments and outlandish human atrocities. And I'm not going to go into them because I literally could not get them out of my head after seeing pictures. And, and they were drawings. And Ugh. I'm not going to do that to our listeners. <laughs> I want them to come back. And if you're curious, you can pause it here and go look yourself. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's just, it was just so disturbing. So disturbing. Mm. Well, it turns out that those medical experiments and the... Um, intentional human deformities that you know you and i read about like putting arms on people's heads and stuff are about as true <laughs> as aliens landing and having sex with you <laughs> hey <laughs> mom people believe in that stuff i'm sorry i know but yeah it it yeah <laughs> yes the slaves were definitely found in poor conditions and yes, yes they were abused but the stories all grew bigger from there of course and it turns out that the New Orleans Bee, that's B-E-E, which in today's world would be defined a as a tabloid, mm -hmm. was the paper that shared the terrible things to the public. But it was many years after the event actually took place. Uh, keep it relevant. And the Make atrocities were never proven to be true. Okay. Ever. Okay, so that you can take those horrible pictures and just... Throw them away okay, because good. they didn't happen. <laughs> good. Ugh. Ugh. Some of the rumors were um, said to have been perhaps spread by a gentleman who wasn't, well, I can't call him a gentleman, but a guy who not was. no gentleman. <laughs> who that lived next door okay. to Delphine and was very attracted to her and actually proposed marriage and she turned him down. So he was became bitter. Ugh. And then, because of his hurt and anger, he spread those rumors after the mansion burned down. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the mansion didn't burn down. I have to rephrase that because it's still standing. Um, well, didn't, what's his name? Didn't Nicolas Cage buy it? Are you telling the story? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> oh, you yeah. sucked it dry. I did. I, it's gone. <laughs> Okay, now on to the hauntings, which have been reported for almost 200 years. So there are actual hauntings. Okay, cool. Now, cool, cool, cool. These could be attributed to the slaves at the house, but it could also be something darker, perhaps. Mm -hmm. There's been moans and screams and shrieks that have been heard coming oh, from the rooms where gosh. the slaves have been kept. Of course, you have the footsteps echoing through the house. 
some people who have stood close to a house, um, right now you can't, like when you take a tour of the haunted places sure. in New Orleans, they'll take you to the mansion, but outside the mansion, like across the street. Okay. And <clears throat> some people say that they have felt really negative energy coming from, you know, that area. Interesting. After the fire, the mansion stood empty until it was turned into apartments. Oh, good. And I thought this was interesting. It was here that a tenant, w- attendant of the apartment was brutally murdered. Oh, my gosh. The ap- police assumed it was a burglary. There's that Burglar- stupid burglary. word that I cannot say. I gone say bad, either. but was it? In the police interview, one friend of the murdered person said that the person had claimed that there was a demon in the house. Oh, my gosh. And that the demon had said it wouldn't rest until <gasps> this person had met his end. Oh, gosh. Which, of course, he had. So That's the terrifying. Guy was like, yeah, the g- he said the guy was like always spoke about oh, no. this demon and was like scared to death all the time. Oh, no, I would never want to live there. That's, yeah. The mansion was also a school for girls. During oh, good. the mid to late 19th century. Oh, my gosh. It actually started off as a mixed race school. Oh, well, that's good. Um, but because of the politics of the time, it became an all-girls African-American school. Okay. Within a short period of time, the little girls reported having been pinched and scratched. Oh, no. And when they rolled up their sleeves... Their little forearms were all bruised Poor and scratched. Babies. Oh no! Each of the girls reported that the woman did it. <gasps> oh my God! That's Without, so scary. I know, I know. Those poor babies. <laughs> oh gosh. So, the school closed down, and the mansion went through periods of being a place of business to a single dwelling, you know, family home, back to apartments. And finally, back to a single-family home. So, you know, it just couldn't sustain anything. Jeez. Many people crossed its thresholds, but they didn't stay long. In comes Nicholas Cage. Ah, there he is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He bought the home in 2007 and actually moved in to feed off of the spooky vibes of the place because oh, he, he was writing a dark novel. Oh, he would. So um, Cage actually did not get very far with his novel, and he lost the house in a for- foreclosure in 2009, about the same time his career kind of... Yeah, I heard he went bankrupt and, like... Yeah, it spiraled down. bought, like, some... What is it called where you in a cemetery but they don't bury you a crypt yeah he bought like some giant mausoleum huge like mausoleum in new orleans i think it's in new orleans and um because it's like a cemetery or something the government can't take it from you oh or so he lives there well no but, <laughs> but i guess it's like huge and like this huge massive massive thing. oh my goodness anyway sorry i probably don't know all the facts there but yeah, I ain't got nothing on that one. So <laughs> fake news from Beth Thompson coming right at you. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe his career was going to spiral down anyway. I have some but... real news about him, though. Yes. His birthday is my birthday. Dun, dun, dun. Crickets. <laughs> Chirp. Chirp. Oh, cool. Wow. All right, go on with your story. It is right now owned by a rich Texan businessman, Michael Wallen, 
Whelan, who bought the house in 2010 and has the inside totally uh, renovated. Oh my gosh, I've seen pictures of it. It is amazing. So he's had it for nine years, almost ten years now. Like It's amazing. But the thing is, I don't think he lives there all the time. Okay. He like bought it and had it renovated and... So does he like rent it out or is it just sitting? Uh, you know, he's there sometimes, but interesting. But if you get a chance, look at the inside of the mansion. It it just is fantastic. It, it's very modern. I Has mean, he it's ever quoted saying anything's happened there? Nope. Nothing? I didn't find anything. Wow. Nothing on that. There's a story about a tour guide that was taking people around. They were across the street. She felt a tug on her shoulder bag turned around there was nobody oh there gosh. um her people were in front of her not behind her um <laughs> the lamp lights that they were standing underneath would go off and on oh gosh. off on i mean just different you know so it, yes it could be a short but it was just weird that that happened yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it happened when they were standing there not otherwise oh gosh so um yeah, there have been body imprints on the beds, um, oh, doors swinging so shut, water faucets coming off and on, you know, that oh, kind gosh. of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it is haunted, I guess, but you can throw those disturbing things in your head, just toss them away. Okay. because I will, gladly. That makes it, yeah. <laughs> gladly. There you go. That was fun. That was fun. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us again for our fourth episode mom we've done yes. four episodes yes this is this is just rocking and rolling if you'd like to get in touch with us feel free to email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at killer hangover podcast and instagram at killer hangover also no idea where i was going with that comment <laughs> i was hanging on to my seat here well this was fun beth yes it was mom so next week, episode five, you will be doing the true crime. What area are we covering? We're going to Washington. Washington State. Yes, ma'am. All righty. I have a funny story. that We'll just have to share that next week about All Washington. Right. Oh. oh. Okay. No, it's not about Nick Cage. <laughs> oh, it's not even Nicholas. It's Nick. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, come on. We share birthdays. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Cheers, mama. Love you, kid. Thank you.